0: It's that time for us to pray. Lord, I pray that you give us calm hearts today, quiet our minds, bring all our anxieties so that we can cast them at your feet. Lord, we know how much you care for each one of us here. And we pray that your vessel today is able to pour out your message. Amen. Does anyone know what a dirt clod looks like? I brought a few. And if you have any idea, up in colfax, they are nasty red clay clods. When you're trying to garden, you can see some of my things down there, they get in the way. They make a mess. Some of you, I appreciate the story, Darren, because you talked about things for the older generation, and I appreciate the fact that there was a story for the parents and for us to realize how old we've gotten. Thanks. (laughs) Much appreciated. We actually had explained to the kids the clicking sound on the camera on your actual phone is the original sound. (laughs) I love it. But as some of you may know, there's something called idioms. Now, I don't know if we study them anymore in school, but my dad had his favorite idiom. And it was, what a dirt clod. Does anyone know what that means? It was his polite way of insulting somebody without cussing. Road rage, somebody cuts him off on the freeway, dirt clod. Mechanic, $500 later, still making the same crazy sound, dirt clod. I think I missed my clicker. There we go. <clears throat> dirt clods are defined by a useless clump of dirt, kind of like what I have here today. Do you have any dirt clods in your life? Today we're going to kind of go through the story of Elijah meeting Elisha and some of the dirt clods in their lives. We are first introduced to Elisha in 1 Kings 19 and 16. It is during this time that Elijah, if any of you need to have a mnemonic way of remembering, J for Elijah comes alphabetically before S for Elisha. So in case you get it mixed up or I say it wrong, just fix it in your head and you've got to get on going because I'll probably glitch up here. When you're saying it out loud, it just gets a little bit harder. During this time, Elijah is desperate. He is miserable. Here's a little bit of the backstory. Elijah has fled from his home, being pursued by the wicked queen Jezebel, dirt clod number one. Elijah has just killed all of her prophets, a bunch of little dirt clods, on Mount Carmel. She intends to kill Elijah, so he runs. He runs until he can run no more. He sleeps He sleeps under a broom tree. Now, I have a lot of that sweet broom on my Colfax property, the yellow stuff that everyone says to get rid of, because it's a fire hazard. I happen to love it, because it's so pretty. I put it in big jars. But I had to look up what a broom tree looked like. Broom trees are great for shade. It must have been hot for Elijah. He sleeps, he sleeps under the broom tree. He begs God to take his life. He is ready to die. He is done. Have you ever been done? I mean, like capital D O N E. But instead, God sustains him bread, water, rest. Again, he sleeps under the broom tree. And again, God feeds him. Bread, water, but no rest. It is on to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, also known as Mount Sinai. But this is a journey he must go on for forty days and forty nights, despite the fact that he is ready to crash. Let's read First Kings, chapter nineteen. Verses 9 through 12. He went there into a cave. So, this is after the 40 days and the 40 nights, and after the broom tree. He went there into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for you, Lord, my God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. "'Torn down your altars and put the prophets to death with the sword. "'I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too.'" The Lord said, "'Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, "'for the Lord is about to pass by.'" Then a great and powerful wind tore apart the mountain, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was a great earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then came a gentle whisper. And God says, what are you doing here? Come on, it's obvious. You asked Elijah to go. Elijah replies, God, I have been fighting. I am so tired. The people of Israel, lots of dirt clods, have given up on the commandments, the covenant, and now all these killings? I'm the only one left. But instead, God instructs him to go out of the cave, stand on the mount, and wait on him. I am not a patient person. It is hard for me to stand still and wait. I think as a mother I'm often going to be tested with patience but I think I fail that test more frequently than I pass it. So here we see Elijah waiting. A great strong wind surely God Almighty is in that wind breaking rocks like our dirt clods today but he is not. A great strong earthquake Literally breaking up the dirt clods, surely God is in the mighty earthquake. He is not. After the earthquake of fire, a mighty fire, but God is not in the fire. But after the fire came a gentle whisper, and when Elijah heard it, he knew he heard the voice—not the voice on TV, but the voice. And that voice said to him one more time, what are you doing here? Come here. I have to say, God, why did you whisper to Elijah when you called him out of the cave? And God's response is, I whisper because I'm close. God is close. He doesn't need the fire, the earthquakes, and the wind. He just needs that whisper. I remember the day that my kids shared the song, Close, by Tornwells. Some of you may be able to now play it in your heads. Honestly, it has way more beat to it than my Adventist bones can handle. I couldn't hear the words. You talk about generational differences. We saw it in the children's story. Yeah. So I had to have them share the lyrics of the song. It's funny. I've come full circle, just like we saw today. I remember when my parents didn't like my music and couldn't understand it. The song Close has so much meaning. It identifies why God doesn't always use the wind, the earthquakes, or the fire to get our attention. He just needs to whisper because he's close. He was close to Elijah, and he knew that Elijah was near the end of his rope. He was tired, and he needed more. 1 Kings 19.16, this is where we meet Elisha. God says, I know you need a helper. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Zaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. God tells Elijah he's going to give him help, someone who can literally pick up the mantle to be a prophet for him. This is where we meet Elisha. Elisha was a son of a rich, rich man. But after Elijah threw the mantle over Elisha, He went after Elijah, leaving all his riches and family behind to be a servant, an assistant to Elijah. Son of a rich man, becoming an assistant to a prophet who's being chased by the evil queen who wants to kill him? Not the path I would want for my children to follow. No mother would. Time goes on, in the book of Kings, Israel is struggling. Wars are fought, wars are fumbled, prophets are picked, kings are killed. The people of Israel continue to rebel and relive the sins of their past. They are definitely dirt clods. The nation as a whole. As we pop into Second Kings, Verse uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 1, it starts out saying, oops, I went the wrong way. Love this button. It starts out saying, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were also on their way from Gilgal. At this point, Elijah is mentally and spiritually preparing to go to heaven. His mission on this earth is done. Elisha wants to be there when it happens, but he's being tested by Elijah. Elijah says, stay here, I'm going to go over here. But Elisha answers, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Again, they travel to another location, and again, Elijah says to Elisha, stay here, I'm going to move on. And again, Elijah sa- Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Again, it happens three times. Elisha wants to be there for Elijah, no matter what. Elisha is not a dirt clod. Knowing what Elijah and Elisha both went through, I don't think I would have been that dedicated. I don't think I could have been that dedicated. So many troubles tribulations, and turmoil, living day in and day out, being surrounded by dirt clods. I find the dirt clods in my life are enough for me. I don't really want to deal with more. Dirt clods aren't always people, as my dad tends to think. Sometimes it was that misunderstanding that has now become a lie, and you have to live out the truth. Or maybe it's the body, that's broken down while your mind is still going. Or it's the utter fatigue of a mother at the end of a long day. What are your dirt clods? Can you think of them now? But here's what really floors me. Verse 9. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken? Elisha Elisha says, Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. I don't want double of nothing, do you? Why would anyone ask for a double portion? It sure seems like there was enough dirt clods in Elijah's life that Elisha really didn't need to ask for more. I imagine the gardening, and I think we can credit Heidi and Cindy for these beautiful arrangements that have traveled from banquet to grandparents' tea to the front of our church today. Imagine as if my garden could actually produce those flowers. In order to get flowers that look like that, how many dirt clods would I have to get through? Twice as many? I don't know. I don't want them. Do you? This story came to me while I was talking to somebody at work. And she mentioned the donkey deep down in the well. Imagine this donkey that has fallen into an old abandoned well. He's not hurt. But he cannot get out on his own. He's scared, he's tired, he's hungry and thirsty. There is nothing he can do about getting out. Have you ever felt abandoned, tired, out of options? I know I have, and I know the hearts of my closest friends have. As the story goes, the farmer comes along and realizes what has happened to his poor old donkey. The farmer has always meant to, you know how it is, I'll do it later, I'll get to it. He meant to fill that well up with dirt. Keep somebody from falling in and getting hurt. He decides that since he's unable to get his old donkey out, he'll just bury it. What a Dirt clod, Jesse, right? Total dirt clod. That donkey is no longer carrying the burdens, but has become the burden. The farmer isn't interested in being burdened anymore. Shovel after shovel, he buries that donkey. Crunch, swish, thud. Each gentle thud comes down over the donkey's back to the ground. We're going to leave that story for a minute, and we're going to jump back into our Bible story. Here we find in Second 2 Kings 2.10, Elijah says he cannot give to Elijah what he has asked. It is not Elijah's to give. Only God can pour out. And the verse says, You have asked a difficult thing. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. You will get that double portion of dirt clods if God lets you watch me be taken to heaven. Only God can pour out. But what does he pour out? More dirt clods to muck up our lives? More dishes to wash at the end of a long work day. Maybe the child you thought had been potty trained isn't. Again. More laundry. The cat gets bit by a mole, ruining your front yard. Not a personal story at all, can you tell? And then that's a vet visit and a vet bill. She killed it, by the way. I must admit, I feel like I am constantly gardening in my life's garden with lots and lots of dirt clods. Bills? Dirt clods. Schedule with home, work, and school? Overwhelming dirt clods. Doctor appointments? Totally hard dirt clods. Really limiting my ability to garden, and I love to actually garden. I love to dig my hands deep into the dirt, I'm so much more at peace when I'm out in God's nature, whether it's a hike or gardening. But there are too many days to count that when I want to get out and garden, I can't. Maybe it's too many doctor appointments, or maybe the heat would trigger the multiple sclerosis flare-ups, or maybe I'm just too busy. Heavily burdened with the dirt clods of life, and that's just the things. Never mind struggles with relationships and people. Can you identify with me? I don't want to be alone up here. Is this what it means for God to pour out a double portion? Many times in my life it feels as if it has been quadrupled. I'm going to tell a personal story. Mel has told this story. I know so some of you might recognize parts of it. But today, I'm telling it from the perspective of a mother. The mother of a three-month-old, Micah. We were tired. We were in a hard church. We had gone to the journey. The journey is a group of pastors and families that would get together. We would pray with each other. We would study with each other. We would have... Um, meditation and hikes, and it was just a very fulfilling spiritual time for us. We shared in confidentiality what our plans were with our group of pastor friends, and they all decided to circle around us, lay their hands on us, and pray for us. Most of the prayers went as you would expect, Lord, please guide them, open a window if you close a door, you know, the things you would expect to hear until somewhere about three-fourths around the circle, one pastor prays, Lord, let everything go wrong if you don't want them to go. (laughs) Who prays like that? All right, good, yay. On we go. We find ourselves on our way to the Ontario airport. The flight we're supposed to get gets canceled. So the airport says, hey, look, if we shove all of you in a whole bunch of airport shuttles, 15 people to a van, we can race you down the freeway and get you to LAX in time to get the next leg of the flight. So I don't know how many 15-seater vans uh, got sent out that day, but I know that everyone in ours wished they weren't in it. You see, Micah cried the entire way. And it wasn't an hour and 15 normal traffic time, it was high-traffic time. So that, in, in effect, by the time we actually got to LAX, we had missed that leg of the flight, too. So now, I not only have missed two flights, but my baby is still screaming. Not crying, screaming. Can any of you identify with that? Just as we start to log all of our luggage and get the car seat out of the shuttle bus and put it on the curb, security officers come up to us and say, you're going to have to stay here now. What? We are now in orange alert. I, don't, I haven't heard that system be used a lot anymore. But for those of you who remember orange alert, that meant there was a new terrorist threat. And all baggage must be checked at the curb. As I sat on that curb, crying, my son crying, we missed yet another flight. No need to dig anymore. I have had enough dirt clods rain down on me. I'm done. I am a tired, emotional, mother. And that prayer was sort of kind of ringing in my head now. I'm kind of thinking, yeah, Lord, you told us if everything goes wrong, we don't have to go, right? I'm done. I'm still in this state. Finally, we board an actual plane this time. By now we realize the reason Micah is crying is because he has a fever. He is sick. My three-month-old is burning up. We are on a plane, full of people, not just 15 people in an airport shuttle for a short period of time, but we are now on a flight that will last three and a half, four hours with a screaming three-month-old. These poor people wished that we had not gotten off that curb. So in order to save those poor people on the plane, I took my son into the bathroom Stood there, bouncing patty. You guys know that rhythm, right? You angle those vents that are in the airport ba- or the plane bathroom, splash water, and I'm just doing this the whole time. Somebody actually knocks. I step out. They use the bathroom. I step back in. This is how the entire flight went. Literally, I felt like that donkey in the well, shovel after shovel of dirt, landing on me with no place to go, no way out, literally. I wish the story ended well, but it does not. Eighteen hours after we were supposed to have arrived, we now are at our destination which, if you consider the time zone difference, it is now about 24 hours later. So guess what? The leadership of the team wants to call us. They're ready. Are you? Here's the problem. We had not got to our hotel yet. You see, this is back before those Siri days where your phone could tell you how to get where you want to go. We actually had printed out map instructions that were wrong. There had been new roads, and the highway was now a freeway, and the bridge we thought the way the road could get across was no bridge. I was crying, Micah was crying, Mel was crying. Sorry, honey, had to tell the truth. We are circling and circling and circling, trying to find our way across this freeway. Next thing we know, pew, pew, right? Red lights, blue lights, flashing. Yeah. We get pulled over. Flashlights in your face, you'll barely see, your tears are going everywhere. Officers, what are you doing? Breaking down, I tried to get across the freeway, And I don't know how. He's like, sir, I pulled you over because I thought you were casing the neighborhood, but clearly you guys are lost. One non-dirt clod that night. We get a police escort, lights flashing all the way to our hotel. Nice way to arrive, right? But the cop was so nice, he not only waited for us to get unloaded, but he then escorted Mal to where there's a 24-hour pharmacy so he could find some Tylenol and ibuprofen for the fever. Let me tell you, I have never quite seen God work like this before. And I wish he hadn't. So here we are. Leadership calls. You're ready, right? Tour, meet, greet. They gave us a bulletin for Sabbath. We knew Mel was going to preach the sermon, of course. But the bulletin had Friday night adult vespers. Okay, adult vespers, all right. Mel, Baga, preaching. Late night youth vespers, Mel, Baga, preaching. Sabbath school, Mel, Baga, church sermon melbaga saturday night close of sabbath vespers melbaga 24 hours five speaking engagements and he had one sermon prepared i looked up flights back home and had Almost hit the send button. So close. I didn't need any more shovels of dirt raining down on me. We stuck it out. I can't even go into the details of what happened in that next 24-hour period. You don't actually need to know them. The results are pretty clear. But I'll tell you this. I learned many things that day at that church, and I needed no invitation to stay. It was a little heartbreaking, but it was a reality check. The next day before our flight home, the conference executives for that conference wanted to meet us for lunch. They offered us the position on the spot. All 12 elders yes, they had 12 elders. Let me tell you, that's a lot. All 12 elders had unanimously invited us to join them. Mel politely said, we'll talk it over and pray. Internally, huh, I was screaming. Are you kidding me? God, no, no way. Our church back home was tough, but this wouldn't be easier. Far away, check, no family, Check. New job? Would need one. New baby? Got that. New friends? I'm too tired. I'm too tired. Three days later, that conference calls. We've spoken to your current conference, and they've cleared the way for you to come. Just say the word. No? They asked us to think about it, pray about it again. They'll call again in three days. Three days later, no. Then we started getting individual calls from the members of the church. Not the conference president, not the conference executive secretary, but individuals. We heard you're praying about it, and we know what the answer is. God has told us. We asked our conference to communicate for us. No. All these dirt clods preventing the way, but God used them. He didn't take them away. He asked me to stay faithful. Our scripture reading today, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for us. Cast all your cares on him. Cast all your burdens on him. It doesn't say you won't have them. It doesn't say you won't have anxiety. It doesn't say you won't have burdens. But it does say he cares for me, and he does tell me what to do with them. But how do we do it? Why does it matter? What will happen if I do? This brings me back to Elisha. Elisha does get a chance to see Elijah go to heaven. He gets a double portion. He continues to warn the people of God about their enemies. Time and time again, he tells the king of Israel how to avoid the new king of Aram. This angers the king of Aram, and he finds out where Elijah—Elijah, Elijah, sorry, Elisha—told you I'd mess that up. his staying. Quickly, we'll go through. Go find out where he is. The king of Aram ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there to surround the city at the nighttime. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open the eyes, Lord, of my servant, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. How do we let go of burdens? How do we trust God? It comes down to faith and faith in action. going to go? Try again. There we go. Faith exists in the midst of a relationship. Elisha didn't just, have a re- didn't just have faith. He had a relationship with God. He was tethered to God in worship and in prayer. He had a personal connection, and he worshiped God. He wasn't just tethered to God, though. He had a relationship with his people. He was tethered to his community, the leaders, the king of Israel, the commoners, his own servant. He was tethered to the worshipers of God in a community of worship. In asking God to open the eyes of a servant, he was not only in a relationship with God, but his fellow man. Together... Their faith produced sight that was beyond what the human eye could see. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed. So here's the king of Aram. He's coming to get Elisha. Strike the army with blindness, Lord. God listens to him. And then Elisha tells the blind army of Aram, This is not the road, this is not the city, follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for who happens to be right there. And he led them to Samaria, where the king of Israel was. After that, they entered the city, and the Lord and Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. And the Lord opened the eyes, and they looked, and they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? These are the enemies, right? Elisha's answers are, do not kill him. Would you kill those you have captured with a bow or sword? It's kind of like POWs, right? We keep them. But instead, set food and water before them. And it doesn't end there. Watch what happens. That they may eat and drink and what? Go back to their master. Go back to their master. It didn't stop with the worship of God or strong relationships with fellow man. The story goes on to show great outreach of service, food, water, freedom, even to the enemies of Elisha, the people of Israel, and to God. Let us be like that donkey in the dirt, by casting our cares and our burdens of this world We can give God our anxieties. Let us join together, church family, in worship, in relationships, and in service to one another. Let us shake off those shovels of dirt that rain down on us. Stomp down the dirt clods of life so that we may know that he cares for you and he cares for me. Every time we reach out in community of faith and friendship, we stamp down those dirt clods of life. Every burden we shake off, every time we reach out in prayer, we shake down and stomp down those burdens. Let us join together in worship, in relationships, and in service so that we may know he cares for each one of us in our community here. He will help each and every one of us climb out of that well. Every prayer that we pray together, every relationship we build together, those dirt clods are being stomped down. And that now builds a foundation. And instead of getting that donkey buried alive, Jesse, that donkey climbs out. He stands on those mounds of dirt we can do together. We can climb out of any well that we fall into when we are together in this life. It is in worship, relationships, and service that we make the burdens of this world become light. Lord, Lord, May the dirt clods of our lives be ever, ever so real so that it reminds us what to do with them. Cast them at your feet. Stomp on them together so that as we dig out of that deep, deep well, we stand on that firm foundation of dirt and serve others. That is my prayer for each and every one of us today. Amen.